0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place
1: to go: Mind Pump. Mind Pump with your hosts Sal Destefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So, Justin, you you think that later on we're gonna to want to dye our hair? I think like I think there's a moment
2: where you probably like you look at that like, hmm, I kind of I want more youth. You know, like, like maybe there's a there's a there's that sort of crossing where yeah, that's when like,
1: you get a motorcycle and you date a young <laughs> girl.
2: Yeah, some people go that route. Yeah. No, it's yeah. like the,
1: it's like
3: the the mustache phase that you go through. You want yeah. you, grow- you start
2: using like I might actually start using lotion, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Like I might actually consider it,
3: dude. I'm telling you, I I I dyed my hair. Dude, maybe, you just shed right now like a snake right now. <laughs> I just, I'm just one big ashy mess. <laughs> just, just, I'm like, just shedding, bro. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Let let me rot in the desert.
3: <laughs> but I, uh, Our luck though, that's he's probably healthier that he does that. What, we're, that he puts we're, no, we're rubbing all these chemicals all over uh, us to stay moist. See, you know? you know what? I'm a lot like you,
2: Adam, in your training methods. Like I wait till that last minute to then ramp it up. You know I mean, <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting to to reveal my sexiness to you. The don't world. have
1: to moisturize everything. I just moisturize arms mm. and the knees down. <laughs> Oh god! Gotcha. So I don't moisturize like yeah, my, my thighs. Knees. Look at this. My, my chest, knees my legs are out of control. Yeah, what is it's <laughs> it? Looks, it looks like mm. it looks like you ran across. You know, winter is coming. It looks like you've been walking on the carpet on your knees for like the past couple hours. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so like.
2: Well, I do have another job, so yeah, I gotta pay the bills.
0: Well, <laughs>
1: yeah. My pub's not doing good enough yet, huh? Yeah,
2: still on my knees. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah. Delicious. I worked for Shreds. How was uh? How was that uh, that keto? Friendly ice cream, Adam. You like that? Yeah. Uh, pistachio and walnut. Yeah. Super keto. You got
2: the, 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 the fats <laughs> of no, This there. guy. Dude, this is just like, come on! All of a sudden, you're like,
1: no, I need some, bro. I swear to God, Adam's like, uh, he, there's certain things about him that's like a kid. Like he'll come in, but he doesn't just get ice cream. Right. He has ice cream, and he's got the like, what is that thing that was sticking out of? Well, it? they give like you the that. cookie sticking out of it. Well, they give that to you, and he's got like three flavors. I can't
2: hang out with him very long because like like when we go on our retreats, oh, you and two stuff, always get fat. I don't know what time. it is, but like he just knows. He's like, hey, come on, dude and he just like gives me a look he I'm picks like, on you though he, does, he doesn't ask me shit I'm like yes just like, do this pick <laughs> on the weak one he goes yeah, after yeah, yeah. he goes he after up, on the week, he week. goes after the wounded wildebeest uh, I, totally
3: <laughs> I know I can convince I'm Justin to like, get some yeah. shit food with me like, oh, yeah, I, that looks good. I call it having balance. That's what I call it. Yeah. I call it having balance. I don't want to be too neurotic.
1: Right. You know, one, I, one of these days I'll eat ice cream and then you guys are going to hang around for the following couple hours just to so oh see what happens. Oh, uh, I
3: don't want to see that. We, hmm? yes. I don't want to see you that. Know, that gelato was ph- phenomenal. Though, it's not,
1: gonna, not gelato for fuck's sake. Dude. It's <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> I'm going to punch really passionate. passionate about you this You are topic. really passionate. dude. Stop Man. being a vagina head. Listen, mm. right now. Yeah. If I made shoes... And I copied the shit out of Nikes and I put a swoosh on them. <laughs> and I'm like, here's some Nikes. Would you say they're Nikes, or would you say no, they're just some fucking shoes you copied to make them look like Nikes. That doesn't work with it's food. You in it your does. No, it grounds. doesn't work with food. Gelato. Gelato is made Ooh, you, in you Italy put it an Italian. I almost was about to in there. I was gonna do that, but I would come gelato. across. Gelato <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Hey.
2: My cousin what'd you say? I <laughs> said hey, my my grandmama made me gelato.
1: Yeah. No, there's a particular way that gelato is made that is different than American ice cream. I'm not saying it's better or worse. Some people like is one this another the other. one of those scenarios where you're just saying that, but you have no proof to back it up? You it's no- 100% true. Oh. If you go to Italy and you have gelato there, there it is different. Americans make ice cream. It's different. Well, what different. the fuck does that mean? That means mm. nothing to me that you say that. Of All course right. it's well, different. You know
2: what it sucks is that All Irish people far. make horrible food, so I got nothing.
1: Uh, gelato has less fat than ice cream, while ice cream is normally heavy on the cream and has mm. a fat content of at least 10%. Gelato uses more milk than cream and also uses uh, less egg yolks. Ice creams are churned faster and harder than gelato. Gelato is churned a little slower. And when you go to Italy, you see the way they present the ice cream well, the wait, stop, stop
3: stop stop I'm not allowing you to do this I'm not allowing you to google something and compare gelato to ice cream and then all of a sudden just assume what I just had was ice cream that was fucking gelato listen because it was in Italy does not make it not gelato I'm down but, for a trip and to just go because you just because you pulled South up claims, some google bullshit to compare gelato to ice cream does not, does not mean what I just had wasn't gelato that was gelato bro no. I am very familiar with the difference between ice cream and gelato I didn't no. need you to google that and tell me and, <laughs> and tell me that then you still followed up the statement with "It's different again, Bro, but no you're, proof."
1: You're making me. You know, you're like that guy that's like, "Oh, I went to uh, Olive Garden. I had a bologna rigatoni salad bologna or some rigatoni. shit. It's Italian." <laughs> Like ah! no, you know, no, I'm not. I told that you,
3: I told you before that it's. I'm not comparing it. Okay, if you went and had some homemade pasta that's made in Italy from from some old lady that's in, in your family and shit, then I that's completely different than me going down to Olive Garden and having pasta. That's totally different. You're talking about something that's being processed that's probably made in a fucking box versus some old lady with a secret recipe that's been in the family for a hundred years to make that. And I'm sure there's somebody who makes gelato unique and adds something special to it. But until you can prove to me what the fuck that is in that recipe, then it is no different. And I have had gelato all over the world, and it tastes the same everywhere. You didn't go to Italy. I haven't been to Italy. Oh, okay. Uh, That's yeah. all. I've been to France. Yeah, that's so. all. That's, uh, that's oh your, yeah. Oh, your oh your the, Fra- the
1: French. The French. The French are. They make. Uh, yeah, they're French they fries. They hey, you know French fries in France <laughs> taste the same as French fries in America. Too, you do you realize right? that French fries? That Whoa. that I don't think they were invented. Those in are France. freedom fries. <laughs> yeah. Hey. No. Listen. Uh, this is. There's a lot of stuff that was copied from the Italians. That they turn that they make it sound <laughs> like a time. I'm gonna tell you, something, gonna dude. Tell you, you know what? Put a Greek in Italian. All in a room, I know oh, is, it, is I pizza. So Here all day
3: long. But no, like a Greek in yeah, Italian. They like, can talk
1: about how everything was started from them. Like like pepperoni. You know pepperoni on pizza. Mm, Do you know what pepperoni means my in favorite. Italian? What means peppers. Mm. An American invented that type of salami, and they're like, "What are we gonna call it? I don't know. Let's call it pepperoni because it sounds Italian. It's not fucking Italian. Pepperoni's American." <laughs> Wow. That's just one example. You just
0: ruined my Still pizza. has nothing to do with gelato. So <laughs> yeah. That's just an example. So, so can I put this to, to rest? Oh, please oh, don't. Oh, here we go. Okay. Here we go. Gelato, to make it, there's a ingredients and a process. Right. And you can take the ingredients and the process from Italy, and you can take it to America, and you can make it in America. I've had gelato in Italy. <laughs> I've had it in America. I've had it in Japan. I've had it in other countries, oh, no. and it tastes the same. Dad, yes. Dad I is a process. No, I just, with the right hood. That's it. Daddy <laughs> just put it down on you, son. Sorry, Sal. <laughs>
3: oh. Hey, you know what? It only took a little over a year, but I'm slowly winning Doug over.
1: Listen, I see it slow, I am slowly winning Doug over. Let me explain something to you. Mm. Gelato don't is, is not just the process hey, no, of hey, making hey, the ice hey, uh, There's an experience. Hey, dude. Dad, it's where you're sitting. It's who you're with. I'm telling you. It's, you the, it's the country you're in. We're okay? trying to justify a
0: trip to Italy, bro. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm making that case for you. Okay, I will say that there's one ingredient you cannot add. It's the air from Italy, and we know that's special. <laughs> Here, I'll give, you some, I'll
1: give you some Italian air. Come sit next to me, Doug, you fuck. Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> God has spoken. We move hey. forward now. Hey. Moving on G- now. Go odd. G- 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 sh- <laughs> sh- it's got my arm. <gasps> we have summoned... The motherfucking quad, The eagle of quad.
2: No, no queenness in there.
0: All right. Uh, Time to fight. Lime has asked, how do you figure out mat- macros and calories for someone just starting out?
1: Oh, uh, we'll start with Adam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys yeah. gave me one macro <laughs> question. his favorite topic. <clears throat> um, the, the
3: most accurate way to do this is actually to track what you're currently doing right now. So uh, I think the mistake that the average person makes is they Google and look up uh, a generic calculator that says put your weight in, put your age in, put your activity in, and then it kicks off. Now, those aren't a bad idea to give somebody a kind of a generic uh, idea of where they should be around. Baseline. Yeah, baseline. But if you want to be really accurate about it and take into consideration that we all have different metabolisms and you may have fucked that up or you may have a better one than you think, um, the best way to find that out is to, to track what you're doing. So what I do with a client when I first start off with them Is I tell them to eat how you always eat. I don't want you to change anything. I don't want you to try and impress your trainer, but I want you to track and log everything. So we're going to log everything, whether you use Fat Secret or MyFitnessPal, a tool for tracking and logging. So we log all your foods. And then after a week or two, I'm going to assess it. Now, I'm also going to assess if we've maintained your weight, if it went up or down. So obviously, if you continue eating in a certain pattern, I see you going up, you're eating in a surplus. But if, like most people, they're they're stuck at a weight. Most people that hire a trainer or are looking to lose weight, they've been kind of hovering and stuck around that weight. So they're probably eating around their maintenance already, which is what I want to see. And I have them track. And then from there, if your goal is to uh, lose weight, uh, then I want to put you in just a slight deficit. You know, I'm not trying to put you in a major deficit, somewhere between 250 to 500 calories a day from that if your goal is to lose weight. I want to do most of my work uh, in teaching you balance of nutrients and food, like in the nutrition guide. That's what that's all about. That we we provide, and then on top of that is incorporating a good training program.
1: Yeah, I would say that the best way to know is, like you said, to track because uh, people. It's tough to the best estimates can be off by hundreds of calories. Mm -hmm. So uh, you got to you got to write down what you've been eating and don't change it for at least a few weeks just to see if you're maintaining. Uh, gaining or losing and take it from there but the nutrition survival guide uh, that we offer uh, can help tremendously in terms of figuring out macros and calories for you as far as macros are concerned um, I like to base that off of how I feel and that's how I talk with my clients some people do feel better with a diet that has a higher carbohydrate ratio and others feel better with a higher fat ratio and it's not just uh, about fat loss; it's about energy level, sleep, uh, how your skin feels, digestion is a big well, a one. You know, maintaining consistency too, you know? right? It's right. got
3: to be sustainable. It's a lifestyle change. The idea is not to be put someone on a diet just so they can lose weight, right? And then go right back to what they were doing before, right, you know? Right. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that you know this actually reminds me of something that we're, I'm going through right now. I talked to you guys uh, recently about. Uh, Eric, who is a client of mine right now, who is the first Mind Pump listener that I took on, on for coaching, and real smart kid. So of course, like I told you before, like he likes to assess and analyze everything. So you have him like like weighing and measuring food and like getting to that meticulous oh, yeah, of yeah. a detail with yes. it yeah we're yeah. very we're very detailed and he wants to know you know and, and he's he's tracking with his fitbit he's tracking his steps he's tracking his water intake he's tracking his weight so he's tracking everything and then together i mean you know we're going through changes in in his eating and in his wor- workout routine and then we're assessing it and we're talking about it. so one of the most recent things that we were assessing together was he was like man adam i feel like it's, I'm in this huge deficit, but I'm not losing a lot of weight. And I said, well, this is a perfect example <clears throat> of how these tools that even I highly recommend to people can be extremely off, like Sal was saying. When you take into consideration that even the best tools out there, like your Fitbits, um, are still only about 92 to 94% accurate to your metabolism. So if you take that into, into consideration right out the gate, so there's already room for error there. You take into consideration that uh, nutrition labels uh, are allowed to be up to 20 to 30% off. So there's a, there's another huge discrepancy right there. And then any sort of uh, user error where you forget to put your tool on or you accidentally overestimate or underestimate something. So there's lots of room for error. But the key is that we have a baseline and we have an idea of your your habits and your routine. So, you know, he was at like a thousand based off his Fitbit, you know, and what we are consuming and what he's tracking. He was like at a thousand calorie deficit but we weren't really moving much. But I had told him, I said, "That's not to worry. I already know because I tracked your. We tracked your food for a week. I saw where you're at." and this is, the amount of reduction that I have you at is actually the, where I want you because I don't want to see this huge drop in your weight. I actually would like to see your weight stay about the same and I know that I've definitely put you in somewhat of a deficit and I know that we've changed up your routine so change is happening. I know your body is having to, have to adapt. Well,
2: I would think too that uh, with food that would be a little bit more uh, accurate of a thing to lean on as opposed to like calories burned and like, you know, activity levels because uh, that being said, having technology and all these incorporations with that it's just not there yet man like you can you can associate that with step count Mm. and uh maybe you know they have some alt, alt altimeters in there where they actually like you know test for incline and um then there's ways you can you can check with like heart rate and how hard you're working uh by beats per minute but um even then like unless you're wearing that every single moment like all day long you know when you sleep all this kinds of stuff like uh, the technology isn't there yet so i wouldn't lean too heavy on that is what i'm suggesting not
1: a, not at all yeah, no. the te- the science the science doesn't even exist to be able to get uh, accurate um, right you know you'll know where you're at um, you'll know that you average 7000 steps a day and that if you if the all of a sudden your your you know measuring device says 20000 you know that you've increased your activity on on that that's, metric that's but that's point. about it yeah, but Exactly. because there's even science now they're taking animals check this out they're taking mice and they're taking mice and they'll feed them the same food. And one mouse will uh, be fatter than the other mouse. And then they're doing fecal transplants where they're taking the gut flora from the fat mouse this and putting and putting it to the skinny mouse. And guess what happens to the skinny mouse? Food intake doesn't change, activity level doesn't change, the skinny mouse all of a sudden gets fat. Right. And they'll do the and they'll do the, the switch. They'll do the same thing to the fat mouse. Well they'll take the gut flora. From the skinny mouse and put it in the fat mouse, and lo and behold, it gets lean. No change in food intake, no change in activity level. Crazy. This is fucking mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: bacteria, just, huge influence. Huge
1: apparently. influence. So, uh, so yeah. So me- so measuring your metabolism. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck. Um, <laughs> you-, you-, you just gotta right? you gotta you gotta be objective and observe how your body responds and reacts and measure. You know how active you are now versus how active you are tomorrow, and how you've been eating versus how you are eating now. That's about it. Other than that, you're 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 shooting in the dark if you try and go. Yeah. Well, and, that,
3: and, that, and and I don't want you to because you sound like you come back and we, we like we're we're poo pooing yeah, those like tools. That. I am a I make every client. No, purchase. they're
2: they're effective. Yeah, so you well, it know. depends we're, on what level you're in. Yeah, I,
3: I think. Like, yeah. yeah, I it's just to me it it, it has. Uh, it has taken my coaching my training to a whole nother level of being able to help people because it allows me as a trainer and i don't know if this is somebody who has a trainer or not but it allows me as a trainer to assess it as a person an average person who doesn't know a lot it, it could make, it could be confusing it could be daunting it could be a bit challenging to try and figure all these numbers out it says it so i could see where a client or an average person who doesn't have a professional who's uh, assessing it with them Uh, could get frustrated, but I think it is an extremely beneficial tool because one of the things that you'll realize is – you know, we have a lot of patterns. So, you know, Sal brings up like that and Justin brings up the bacteria and stuff. But more than likely, your your uh, microbiome is is the same right now because you're eating the same type of foods and your patterns. As long as you're kind of keeping your the way you eat and consume, that's staying pretty consistent. Whether it's good or bad, that's, that's hard to argue or debate right now. But it's probably similar because you eat the similar type of foods. You move about the same. You have the same job every day. You work out the same amount of times per week. So it gives me a really good gauge of your habits and what's going on. Then I know where I want to increase or decrease, whether it be I want to decrease a certain macronutrient or food that you're intaking because we're tracking and I can see that. That's one way or two. Do I want to increase your movement because I notice you have patterns on certain days that you're not moving very much? Now, do I get really hung up on it says, you know, exactly, you know, 2,540 calories it said you burned today. And technically off of our food tracking, it says that you ate 1,745. Like that doesn't matter to me. I'm not so caught up in the, the discrepancy of the food versus the what the tool is saying because that's too difficult. I'm just assessing what your normal patterns are and then from there how I manipulate and change and then I'm turning around and I'm assessing okay we just in, we just increased activity i you went yeah. from averaging 8000 steps a day now we're averaging 12000 steps a day that's the only thing we're changing we're eating exactly the same let's
1: see how your body responds right you know what i'm saying and then you no and- that's perfect because th- that's what i mean like they're great to track you know, from where you are now to how, uh, how much more active you are yes. tomorrow. Yeah. That's that's when it's like, just like, okay, th- this is the same thing as like body fat testing. When I use Very calipers- good Very good point. When I use calipers to test someone's body fat percentage, first of all, th- my calipers, if that person were to die and we were to strip their fat off and measure it on a, on a scale to see exactly what the body fat percentage was, I guarantee you my measurement's going to be off. It could be off by as much as 5%. That's such a great point. But, but if I test that person the same way you know the same the same uh, method the same way right. consistently we can see trends we can track you're going up or you're going down whether or not my test says you're seven percent and you really are exactly seven percent is irrelevant mm-hmm. what's relevant is I can see you went down or you went up three percent you see what I'm saying do, and it's the same thing with the trackers do, do you know this is, you know none of us competitors nobody
3: uh, does body fat testing It doesn't even matter to us. Why because, would
1: it? It matters how you look. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So
3: that, that, that's, you know, the people that are getting on stage and presenting that's the a most. Good, that's a great
2: point to make for the listener because it, I, I guarantee they think that, like, you know, that's a huge factor in, like, well, I'm at, like, you know, 10%. I need to get down to this 5% range. and Like, it really just boils down to, like, what do I look like today?
3: Not one professional competitor out of my peers do I know actually use. Now, I've done it, like, for shits and giggles just to say, oh, well, wow, I'm down to 2% according to this machine or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but none of us use that as a indicator on am I going in the right direction? Even if that even with Sal, what he's saying, if consistently it is so there's so much room for an error that when I have done that in the past where I'm using the body fat testing, it's like, man, if Sal measures me one day and then he's not around or available the next day, so the next time I get measured, I get measured by Justin, there's huge... And Big both, difference. Both guys are professionals. Both guys know what they're doing, mm, we're but yet... Just gonna, yeah,
2: we're going to approach it completely different. And that's just because of our own little, like, nuanced ways of doing things. And, uh, yeah, that's the problem I have a lot with metrics in general. There's just, like, there's so many... Uh, uh, little like variables that are going to get in the way. So there's like this variance of, uh, yeah, like a 5% range that's going to be off. You almost have to account for that going into it like from the beginning.
1: So. Right. And the and, and, in mean, with body fat percentage testing, just to be clear, I mean, if you're the average person and you get tested by the same person, it'll be pretty consistent in terms of telling you if you're going up or down. When you start to get into the single digit body fat ranges, uh, the smallest change in how I test you your number could go up a millimeter, which if you're 16%, I could go up 10 millimeters and your body fat percentage won't change yeah. much on the chart. If you're three percent body fat and it goes up a millimeter, oh, yeah. now you're five percent body fat. Yeah. So that's you almost double your you're,
3: you're doubling your body fat. Yeah,
1: so that's what Adam's talking about, um, you know, in, in that regard. But I mean, you want to see where the trends are. You want to see if you're going up or you're going down, and that's what these tools are super effective for. But other than that, you put on this watch and you and you walk around and all of a sudden you're like, oh it says I burn thirty four hundred calories. Yeah. That's that number is a, a really, really super rough estimate. Well, the technology the, doesn't exist.
2: It's like the new treadmill. You know, we always used to like put our hands on there and let it, you know, read my heart rate and, and give me feedback. And it like that was like dinosaur information now. Yeah. And now we have it on our wrist and we think that we're so cool. But it's the same fucking technology. It hasn't gotten any better. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I burned 2,000 calories. No, you
3: didn't. You did not. It's slightly better. So it's I mean, it better. is. Yeah, because like, you, you enter in your age and your weight and stuff like that. And it, it does take a like, uh, I'm going to talk trash and, and, and motivate them
2: to get better.
0: Okay. <laughs> Our next question is from Connor Sanderson from the forum. Does your ethnicity, genetics, or heritage play a role in how you respond to food?
1: This is an excellent, excellent question. Connor, by the way, uh, he runs the page Modern Day Dads on Instagram. We love it. It's one of our favorite pages. Great guy. So uh, this is an excellent question. And I brought up a chart um, because I knew this was true, but I wanted to see what the chart said so I could be accurate with it. So I'm going to use a simple example. We'll use lactose intolerance as an example. So, some people are lactose intolerant and some people are not. Now, we know for a fact that different regions of the world or you have different ethnicities, you will be far more likely to be lactose intolerant than if you're from other parts. The percentage
3: in African Americans is extremely high, right? The
1: highest is East Asian. Oh, wow, really? East East Asian lactose intolerance is 90 to 100%. 90 to 100? Right, and then it goes down. Mm -hmm. African Americans from the north of Africa, 75%. From other parts of Africa, as high as 90%. And it goes all the way down. Um, uh, Here's a here's a cool one: Italians between twenty to seventy percent. So
2: cool, just because it's Italian.
1: Well, no, I'll tell you why this is cool. (laughs) Because it was a huge range. So twenty to seventy percent is a huge range. Now I'm from the south. My family's from the south of Italy. We're Mediterranean. Mediterraneans far higher in lactose intolerance than northern Italians, who are closer to northern Europeans. Northern Europeans have the best uh, are typically. The, the 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 nationalities or the races that have the least amount of lactose intolerance so that's just a simple example that has to extend to other types of nutrition now yeah we drink straight from the udder yeah and 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 that's the truth too fine. like you look at like super white people they tend to be able to have milk no problem <laughs> yeah, whatsoever it's true um and there is one region of africa uh, one tribe in particular the Maasai, who can have uh dairy and they actually they actually survive on lots of dairy and they're absolutely okay, and they've they've evolved to be able to consume lots of dairy. They, they, mm-hmm. they they're cattle herders. That's just one example, but you've got to consider that other things play a role. Like uh, if your you know if your ethnicity brings you from a part of the world that. You know, is in let's say the you know middle latitudes where you're, there's lots of abundance of fish and natural you know oils like olives and you know vegetables and you're probably going to do better that way. And if you're Northern European, mm-hmm. you know full fat dairy, um, is probably going to be very healthy for you. Well, you're going to pass pound.
2: on these adaptations through genetics and everything down the line, right? Like-
1: you can, and that's that's a really rough you know uh, generic way of of putting it. Yeah. Number one, most people are not one. You know, nationality anymore. People are mixed. Number two, of number two, they're now finding that the food that the mother eats influences that as well. Her gut flora uh, it becomes part of your gut flora as you're, you know, when you're born, mm-hmm. and that could influence it. And even her state of mind, they're finding now that the stress levels of the mother and her experiences uh change the way your DNA is expressed. So this this is way more complicated than you know than any answer I could possibly give. But does your ethnicity play a role? Absolutely. It has to. I mean, hmm. at one point, you know, you go back, you you evolved in one part of the world and, you know, maybe your spouse evolved in another part of the world and there was different food available at that point. you know, we were not, you know, shipping food across the world like we are now. Yeah. Um you So know, really
2: in a sense it's more like environmental. So, like, based off of what's available readily in your particular region, your environment. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's what it, we're talking about. But
3: it definitely has to be. I I believe it's something that has been it can be passed down from generation to generation. Because I, I mean, I have and, and this is anecdotal, but I know for sure you guys have had this same scenario where we've got a buddy or somebody that we know who it look is just built aesthetically, looks great. Guy eats fucking Taco Bell and gummy bears. You know what I'm saying, like oh yeah,
1: there's that role too, of course. You know,
3: so there, there is definitely, I mean, and that, that obviously, if you look a certain way like that, and you can build muscle, and that's the type of nutrients that you're feeding. Where I know if I eat like that, like my body says, "Fuck you," it's not yeah. responding the way I want it to respond. So, you know, whether that's something that's genetic or or what, but uh, and you're this is somebody I'm talking about that uh, they were born and raised here, so they're they're born and raised in the same area, but it's been passed down from. Probably generations. Well,
1: I'll give you another example. <clears throat> Europeans have had agriculture uh, for a long time, where they, you know, they've grown wheat, they've grown certain crops, and they've, you know, uh, Europe was a very crowded place, um, you know, long time ago. Um, Native Americans were hunter gatherers uh, until you know the Europeans came over and, and started colonizing, um, you know, the Americas. Native Americans have a much higher instance of diabetes from consuming a diet that's high in grains. Than uh, European might. So when the Native Americans started adopting that this Western diet of you know wheat and bread and you know these types of grains that were really not available or they didn't really consume um, uh, for the most part because they were you know m- uh, hunter gatherers, there they just respond much much worse. Than people who have maybe had that food for you know thousands of years or hundreds of years or whatever, um, and the same is true with you know lots of other foods. So um, it definitely plays a huge role. We're just not we're not at the point where we could test you. You know we could do DNA testing, and it's interesting. Someone brought this up on the forum. I love I, by the way some of the people on the forum I learn from on a daily basis. I don't mm. remember the gentleman's name, but he he he's a DNA analyst, and somebody had asked a question about. Whether or not DNA testing was an effective way to know what kind of diet you should have. And he came on, and this is what he does for a living. And he says, hmm. No, he says, this, The science is it's not way there. too early. It's just not there. So many factors that come into play <coughs> that can deter, that, where we can read your DNA and say, Eat this way, eat that way, work out this way, work out that way. We're yeah. just not there yet. But we probably will be at one point. I, I think hmm. maybe 20, 30 years from now, maybe even sooner. You'll be able to get a DNA test, and it'll say, "Here's the perfect macro breakdown for you. Here's the foods you probably shouldn't eat. Here's the foods you should eat." I agree, and uh, this will give you best health. And yeah, that will be, be a lot fucking- more
2: predictive measures that they can put in place that'll, you know, test long-term health in some predispositions as far as like you know what you're going to be exposed to, you know, through your genetics. So,
1: well, this was the basis behind uh, the whole. Uh, a few people have asked us questions about blood type diet. Yeah, uh-huh. and that was the theory behind the blood type diet. Um, Unfortunately, uh, science has yet to, uh, you know, confirm that that's an effective way of eating. But that was the theory behind it, right? Oh, was that's, that
3: the, was that was that what thread this was on? Is that what it came? Because I remember when that
1: that hmm. thread started. On no, that forum. was on a different one on the forum. The but DNA one. Yeah, yeah. The, the blood type diet thing is like okay, type O blood type. That's the original blood type. It's the oldest one. Therefore, they need to eat like hunter gatherers. You know, type A B. That's right. the newer one. They probably can have dairy and you know all the foods that we started having later on and. That's the theory behind it, but there's so much more there's that goes a lot into it. More
2: variables, I, I yeah. would imagine.
1: And let's also look. You could also have certain DNA, and it can be expressed based on your lifestyle. So your DNA may put you at certain, you know, predispositions, but the way you live changes the way those DNA is expressed, and there, and then, boom, your risk is now gone. Yeah. So uh, we just don't know how to measure all this stuff yet uh, effectively. So
0: next up is from Move and Educate. It's asking about books that have changed your life, coaches that you follow, and some of these big name coaches out there that you would consider not so great.
1: Well, mm. uh, for me, throughout my fitness career, I have a few. There was a few influences that I can remember uh, directly. Uh, the first major influence I had in how I trained was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was his Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding, and the stuff that I gained from that that I have to this day was understanding uh, many, many, many different, how to do many, many different types of free weight exercises. That encyclopedia of bodybuilding was massive. And it had pretty much every exercise you could think of, uh, classic bodybuilding exercise you could think of, that you could do with dumbbells and barbells. And so what I got out of that was learning how to do all these exercises. I understood how to do them. I understood form. I practiced them. I knew how to, you know, how to feel them. The next big influence I had was Mike Menser. I don't know if you guys know who that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike Menser was also a bodybuilder from the 70s, and he wrote a book called Heavy Duty. And in this book, he talked about how going to failure was the signal that told your muscles to grow and that if you just went to failure hard on one set, you didn't need to do subsequent sets. And I did that, and for a second, I got great results, and then my results stopped. But what it taught me was that I could overdo volume. And it taught me how to, at that intensity and volume, were inversely related. And so I learned that. And that took me uh, to other phases of my training. And then I read um, the book Dinosaur Training. And I can't remember. the. the, the, the yeah, the,
2: we brought this up in the last
1: episode. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of name? Kubrick. I think it was his last name. I'm, gonna, I'm Oh, gonna, yeah. Yeah. I got to look up his, uh, his book because I want to give him credit. Yeah. Uh, this book gave me, um, yeah, Brooks uh, Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, is his name? And this one really got me thinking about how to train for big gross motor movements, how to imp- increase my frequency of training, how to not train to failure, mm-hmm. um, and that really took me to the next level. Uh, Mark Ripto, of course, uh, uh, you stole mine. hugely influential. Yeah, I, so, um, as far as people who are shit mm-hmm. in the industry, um, who tell. Uh, Pro bodybuilders, pretty much uh, most of them, are shit in terms of the advice they give. It's true; they don't they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Ben, ben Pack's pretty solid, and, he, and he's like the exception. Like yeah. most pro bodybuilders, have no idea. Yeah, um, they'll tell you, you know, what they do, and that's about it. Um, and then some of these uh, supplement, uh, you know, fitness gurus. Uh, you know, one in particular, I've had a little feud with. I'm not going to call him out anymore because I don't want to beat a dead horse. But uh, they just give. Advice that's going to benefit their pocketbook, until in, in terms of selling more supplements, and uh, they're going to you know put out videos that they know people will click on, like you know how to isolate this part of your muscle which you can't, or how to you know do this new exercise I just invented in my garage gym with the Smith machine, and this is how you, and it's just uh, ridiculous stuff, and uh, they put out more misinformation than good information.
3: Well, I. <laughs> That's funny because I wonder if you're who you're talking about right now <laughs> because I, I think I think you know. I, well, I think that uh, it's important to note first before I talk about anybody that we we follow or or it's hard to find somebody who I just absolutely love everything that they have to give and the information that they have because so many people in the industry are tainted some way or another by by money because that ultimately most everybody. I mean, of course, everybody puts the pitch that we're here to change people's lives and we want to help all these people. And that's the message that they want to try and promote and say, but then at the end of the day, it is a business and they are trying to make money. And in this industry, it's hard to do that without kind of following in that kind of gimmick mentality. So even some of the best coaches out there are the best educated, uh, good information givers out there still have some things that I'm like, eh, I'm not a huge fan of because they're tied to certain things like that. Um, far as books, it's funny. I heard Sal name all the books and all his books are, Definitely related to bodybuilding and and, uh, and fitness. And I'm kind of the, I'm all business guy, like business and manage, management, leadership. Um, I've probably read almost, I wouldn't say everyone, but a good amount of John C. Maxwell. I love all of his books. Some of my favorites, uh, 360 Leader uh, is a great book. Uh, Developing Leaders Around You is a great book. And Developing the Leader Within are probably three of my favorites of his. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Jack Welch Winning. That was probably one of my favorite books. Um, and then one of the shortest, easiest reads I've ever read that I highly recommend to almost anybody that's in a leadership role is One Minute Manager. It's a book that you can read in one day, and uh, I, I had a lot of takeaways personally myself on on leading a staff from that. So that's probably some of my favorite books uh, that I've read. And then from people as far as coaching and fitness, uh, where I get information and I like to I, I like to pick their brain or look at what they're doing or or read some of their articles or stuff. Um, I really like uh, Athlean X. Um, I think uh, he puts a lot of good information out there. Uh, doesn't mean I stand by everything that he does, but I do think he does give a lot of really good information.
2: He's
1: actually a, he actually smart. I mean, he's a Very, smart dude. You hear yeah. what he says? It's like okay. he Well, has well a for how background.
2: many people follow? Like he's got a big following on YouTube. So like I'm always like you know skeptical of those guys because there's a lot of gimmicks involved. But he seems to be pretty you know solid with his advice.
3: Yeah, he does. And in even when you dig into his stuff and you go, through what's his, his
1: name? By the way, does anybody know?
3: I don't know his name. Oh look at my Yeah, on. YouTube. Look at
2: his
1: YouTube. He's Athlean X. Man. Yeah,
3: Athlean X is yeah um he uh you know a lot of the stuff that he sells um similar as far as like the, the the approach that we have with guides and education although he does have some gimmicky stuff a little bit in there i really like a lot of his a lot of his information and i know you're gonna you're uh sal will probably scoff a little bit but i still like a lot of his information is lane norton
1: yeah no i'm uh. not scoffing he, he's he's he was, I'd say, in the, especially in the bodybuilding world, he was one of the first voices of reason. Yes. He was. He and was that's why I'm
3: voices. drawn to him. That's how yeah. I found him was when I was getting into competing and in, in, in bodybuilding. And I, I was searching for a an intelligent voice, you know, and I kept running into all these bad coaches and bad information. And then I came across Lane Norton and I was like, finally, somebody who has an intelligent approach at this sport like the rest of these idiots i feel like are just blind leading the blind so lane norton has a lot of really good tips and information um we, we none of us are fans of ifym which that's the part that i feel like you know he got kind of sucked into that and now he's tied into that and now he's got to double down on it but other than that i think he has a lot of really good information aside from that love t nation i think t nation puts out a lot of really good information they uh, do i, I read yeah. a lot of their articles Um, And then for sports, uh, probably somebody who I've uh, grown to really enjoy watching is uh, PJ Performance. You can find him on Instagram. Um, If you're an athlete, uh, especially in basketball, that's his specialty. I was an ex basketball player so I enjoy it oh, yeah, a, a he's lot. Awesome. I've been watching yes, his stuff too. He's
2: got a lot. I mean just his approach and he's using technology yes. and all these cool things. Yes. He's getting really really specific with like the that skill set like what to improve. Yes. Yeah.
3: He to me uh as far as anybody that I've followed on social media and in the sport world, I think he is doing some pretty badass shit so you can look Yeah, we got to
2: get him on the show. He'll yeah, be awesome.
3: I, I actually reached out to him not telling him, but I know his page is flooded so I don't even know if he saw so maybe if uh, people get on there and follow and, and invite him onto our show, maybe he'll start to see uh, Mind Pump fans. So you can check him out, PJ Performance on Instagram. Probably one of my favorite uh, guys. And then as far as um, shit coaches and shit people out there, pretty much the rest, pretty much everybody else. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure I'm insulting somebody who's listening. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard, man. It's really tough to. To, to find somebody who's putting out really good information out there uh, other than the, some of the names that I, I had listed off and these guys had listed off. And even them, though, like, you got to just be very careful and skeptical to not fall into uh, a dogma just because, you know, a guy who's got a degree. And, yeah, thank you. you
1: know, that's it's the you, dogma thing. So You, you, you brought up Lane, Nate, Lane Norton earlier. Massive respect for the guy. Very, very smart. Uh, yeah. Tends to be very objective. But he he too falls into the the whole I'm going to double down on you know what I've been saying and I can't go back on it like there's a lot of new science coming out mm-hmm. that says a calorie is not a calorie that says uh, it's not just about your macros that says you can people can gain body body fat and lose muscle based upon other things aside from macros and that you probably shouldn't eat too much fructose and you probably shouldn't eat. You know, uh, processed foods, even if it does fit in your macros, like lots of new science coming out. And it would be, I personally would love to see him come out and say, okay, everybody, look, I know I've been saying this, but th- that was based upon the current yeah, the research at the time. And now we're getting new research. And although the new research is not conclusive, it is showing some interesting information. And I'm going to keep you all posted on what I learned. Like that to me uh, is that that's the mark of a, of a fantastic leader. And unfortunately, in fitness, uh, egos are massive and people yeah. hate to fucking do that they don't like to do that you need to do that what That's- did you what did you guys think
3: about the page I tagged you on recently because I, I have just recently came across this guy and I, started, I, I haven't dove into his stuff that much so um, I don't want to rep him as good or bad right now but I'm interested in what you two thought. Did you go through any of his stuff? The, the hypertrophy coach that's tied to M140,
1: Ben Pack, and those guys. Uh, he's no, part of that group. I haven't had a chance to check his He stuff. was the
3: one that was doing the cable flies with the, the internal rotation. <laughs> so
1: what he understands muscle function. He understands muscle function from, from the few posts that I've seen. Yeah. Um, he breaks it down. Uh, whether or not that's an effective use of an exercise, you know, that's a different debate. But that's not what he was saying. He was saying... You know, to work the, you know, the pec fibers near the, you know, the the collarbone. Um, You want to be able to internally rotate the humerus as you're bringing the hands together with the fly. Absolutely correct. That is, uh, there is some role in internal rotation of the humerus at that, when you're doing a horizontal adduction, uh, you know, like in a fly. Absolutely correct. Here's the funny thing. When body, here's, this is how you know a lot of bodybuilders know what the fuck they're doing. When bodybuilders do a fly... You'll see a lot of bodybuilders do this. They'll go down into the fly, they'll come up, and then they'll bring the pinkies together because they think that that squeezes oh, right. the chest better. Yeah. The reality That's is. In the inner chest. The, rea- it's the opposite. The yeah. reality is. The, in- the w- internal rotation. That's way. right. When you're bringing your hands together at the top. The action of the pectoralis is actually to internally rotate the humerus a little bit, or turn the thumbs together a little bit, mm. not the pinkies. <laughs> the reason why they squeeze the pinkies together is because they triceps push their boobs together, and they yeah, feel like it hits. It <laughs> it it's like got cleavage. It's actually the other uh, way. And this is how that's you all know it is. This huh? is how you know. Yeah, oh, a lot of them don't know what they're Shit, talking about. But the man. hypertrophy. This that guy you were talking about. When I've seen some of his posts, he's. Uh, he understands muscle function, I mean, very well, and he explains it very well. So, yeah, yeah. so far, I'm impressed.
2: Well, I mean, you guys are talking a lot about, you know, different uh, strength and then bodybuilding in that kind of specific world. For me, uh, you know, some of the people that I follow tend to be a little bit more on the movement side and uh, athletics and uh, uh, sports training in, in, in particular. And so, uh, I mean, Sal already mentioned one of mine was uh, Mark Ripto's, like, starting strength is a book that I you know, loved, uh, uh, got a lot of great value from. Um, and also like, uh, this book actually, I just not too long ago really got into, and it has so much like deep content in, in it. And I'm just like finding myself reading it over and over. It's just so much. Or whatever? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Mel Siff's super training. It has, um, it's a big book. It just has so <laughs> many like, uh, uh, case studies and a lot of these, uh, uh um, you know, were conducted over in Russia, and so like the communist Russia and that that we were uh, in competition with, and so a lot of the ideas and a lot of the experiments and, and human performance, uh, they're really big into human performance, and uh, we're just now catching up to a lot of the ideas that they were already working on, and so uh, I've been diving into a lot of that, and that's where you 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 know you might have heard like myself, Sal, all of us kind of talk about you know, isometric training and also like these different techniques, like we're, we're starting to kind of implement and uh, uh, you know, some unique stuff. Like they had a lot of like actual credible metrics and, and, and uh, validated information uh, conducted studies uh, that, that were uh, uh, over in Russia. And so I'm, I'm just kind of finding all this stuff. It's like gems, you know, that wow. you're And So that's a great book. Uh, Another one was a great cooks movement book. That's what got me into FMS and and the functional movement screening and uh, like his, his process with that. And, And I, you know, I got a lot out of that because I actually directly took that and started implementing it with my clients. And it was just another great way to sort of, it was a tool to be able to, you know, give feedback to somebody like, why am I why can't I move like this? You know, and is there a process to this? And there is a process to that. And so that's why one way we were able to sort of, uh, show people like this is actually what your body, you know, is capable of. And like, you can actually move, you know, in this way and twist your body and contort in these positions. So, uh, that was cool. And then as far as like the, um, uh, like credible coaches or, or leaders, I feel in the fitness industry, um, you know, like as far as anything kettlebell wise, like uh, RKC, all that, you know, Pavel, is it Tatsuri is his last yeah, name? Yeah, I think so. He's just great in general. He's he's just got a ton of wealth of information that he provides. Uh, and, uh, you know, even if it's just like Olympic lifting or, or anything, he's just a great uh, uh, leader with that. And also Mike Mahler's is a great mm-hmm. uh, kettlebell uh, guy that I follow and I followed since, uh, he got into it. And, uh, so that's another good one. I, I had written down some of the sports trainers, like some people have mentioned Joe DeFranco and I've actually, I bought one of his programs back when I was like in college still. And I was just getting into personal training and, uh, he's trained some high level athletes that are in the NFL and, uh, he's got some great programs. He uses like plyometrics the right way he you know he, he he does a lot of a lot of his concepts are very similar to our maps program like so he's he's educated as far as like you know rest periods and all these kinds of things he he, he really has a good solid understanding of like you know not overworking his athletes that kind of stuff uh and, uh, I guess the, like Mike Boyle would be another one I would mention. And then whatever that speed of sport guy is, I forget what his name is, but his, uh, speed anyway. of sport. Who's that speed of
3: sport? <clears throat> YouTube.
2: YouTube. Yeah. He's his, um, <clears throat> God, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. That's the only one I did not recognize that everybody yeah, he's said. He, he was on actually, uh, um, Joe, uh, Rogan's podcast oh. and he talked about, um, just using plyometrics and like he doesn't like so. I mean, there's like again, dogma, right? So he's completely just in this camp of like only plyometrics and body weight training and speed and explosiveness with his athletes versus like strength training. Uh, and uh, uh, God, Marin- Marinovich, was that oh, right? No. Oh, the Marinoviches, I think. Yeah. So, anyway,
1: I will say this, uh. I feel incredibly blessed to be uh, with you guys because you can see that all of us kind of have different Mm -hmm. influences coming up and uh, my biggest influence is now on uh, training and nutrition and that... In that realm actually comes from you two. I'm glad
3: somebody said that. I was wondering yeah. if one
1: of us was going to, as I was listening, he going around well, like, I don't want to well,
3: be totally narcissistic, well, but
1: yeah, no, I am like,
3: learning a lot from you guys
2: for no, sure. Well, no, I mean, yeah. you
1: know, every time we sit down and make a program, you know, when we sat down and made, you know, maps performance and maps aesthetic and some of the guides, um, the, 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 I learn a lot. From from the two of you, and I learn a lot from when we're doing the episodes and we're talking about our opinions on different things and discussing and sometimes debating. Uh, It either strengthens my position or it changes my position uh, Mm -hmm. or modifies it. And I think it's important to to say that because if you are someone that is constantly wanting to grow and learn, you the best thing you could do is surround yourself with people who. Um, have differing opinions or who also seek to learn and one of the things is what you know that you need to consider that learning and growth does not come from a comfortable space you don't learn and grow when you're comfortable you learn and grow when you're uncomfortable and what i mean by that is you need to be able to allow your ego to be challenged you need to be able to be okay with being wrong and you know adam brought up dogma people who stick to a dogma who don't change their opinion even based on new research or who, who don't even, uh, you know, honor somebody else saying something and listen, uh, they're there. It's too painful for them. They, 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 don't embrace it and they're never going to really grow. And that's very, very important. Uh, you know, for me, uh, one last book I want to talk about, which was for me, a huge growth experience was, uh, the warrior diet by Ori Hoffmeckler. Oh, great. Book. And, uh, this was a major turning point for me, probably, The biggest turning point in my fitness and health Mm -hmm. uh, life. And why? Because uh, it challenged the very core of what I believed. And that very core was that I had to eat uh, small meals throughout the day. That is literally the foundation of bodybuilding nutrition that is number 1 the the there's two foundations of bodybuilding nutrition eat a shit ton of protein and eat small meals throughout the day and i remember uh, i was on some forums on some fitness forums and lo and behold these athletes were coming on they were talking about uh, fasting and uh, and of course people would come on there and be like you're stupid that's ridiculous you're going to lose performance you're going to get weaker you're going to not going to be as strong and these guys were coming on and saying no my 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 performance is improving and i'm feeling better and i'm getting stronger and at first, I kind of like scoffed at it, like, well, this is stupid. And one of the one of the guys that went on, on the forum started making the evolutionary case for, for fasting. Like, well, you guys realize that eating frequently throughout the day is a very new thing. Like, nobody yeah. did that that long ago. We didn't have refrigerators. We didn't have packaged food. And then a light went off, and I said, Jesus, you know what? That's right. Like, how did we survive before? And we really needed performance at that point. You know, we don't need performance now, right. but... So I got the book, The Warrior Diet, and I read it, and um, I took the leap, and it was very uncomfortable for me. I'll never forget the day, the first day I did it, it. Is so afraid that I was going to lose my gains and muscle, and okay, let's see how I feel. And of course, uh, you know, I'll never, uh, I'll, I'll never go back to eating the super small meals, uh, uh, you know, all day long again. I'll never do that again. Uh, but uh, it, it, just because I'm talking about that, I do want to talk. I do want to make sure I mention. Um, go to uh, mindpumpmedia.com if you're interested in fasting because there is a way to do it properly. So I want to say that just to make sure nobody does it wrong. Mm -hmm. So,
0: Our final question is from GE Grayling. What are your one rep max on the four big lifts?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i let He's, you. Go, I'll he let means better uh, a while ago. Standing yeah. bicep curl. So, so here's he the. He, so here's the deal. We need to swear. We're going to be honest. No bullshit uh, numbers. No puffing anything up. Are, no we call, are we talking like current
2: standings right now? Are we talking? Fuck that. Like, all time. Old, I'm not going. All current. time. <laughs> oh, see. Okay, all, good. I, I
1: don't think we should. do All, all time. time is better. You want to talk about current? How yeah. about both? No. Oh. Okay. okay. That's fine. all right. I'll start. I'll start. I like all time. I'll start so that you guys can pad your numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Loaded. I'll
2: do like one. No, five pounds more. Yeah.
1: No, my okay. So uh, bench press, my all-time best bench press. Now I've lifted, I've benched more than this number, but not with excellent form. So I'm only going to count when I was bench pressing uh, in a way that would actually qualify for a competition. So I go down all the way to my chest, pause for about a second and a half, and then press it back up. And my all-time best bench press was 335 pounds with that type of form. Now, today, my lift my lift is way less than that. Um, and that's uh, since that point, I've had shoulder surgery on my left shoulder. And my right shoulder uh, isn't the greatest when I bench super heavy. It's okay with everything else, but when I bench super heavy, I'm not okay. So now, I'd be lucky if I could break 300 pounds. I don't even know if I can. Um, my deadlift, my all-time best is 600 pounds. Uh, my all time best at, uh, at at under 200 pound body weight was 585. So I did 585 and I weighed 195. And today I could probably pull. I'm, I'm close to that 575. 570. I'm always around that number. Overhead press. Uh, I don't know. We're we doing strict press or push press. Because hmm. uh, I've, never, strict, really, I've never really, I've never really maxed out with a strict press. Oh, I you don't. Uh, okay, no, fine, then, then I'm changing my numbers. Yeah, because my push press was like, I think the best I've ever done was two. I think I did 225 mm-hmm. uh, for one was my most ever, and then I think that's it, right? Those are the four. Let's did I say the four? Li- oh. No, squat, squat, squat. My best squat of all time, uh, full squat was 475. Today, full squat. I don't know. I could probably get. Four fifteen, maybe four ten, four fifteen. Probably. Oh, I think
3: you can get a little more than that.
1: I don't, dude. I don't know because there's a huge for
3: me. There's a can, big difference when you go up like five or ten pounds When you start getting over four hundred pounds. Bro, <laughs>
1: I could I could, my posterior chain is strong as shit. Like I could, good morning four oh five. Like I could totally do a good morning with four oh five. To do a full squat with four oh five is hard for me. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I can pretty much guarantee that I don't know. I don't think I could do more than four fifteen in the full oh. squat. Yeah. So, really? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah,
2: I feel like, yeah, you just got strong ass legs. Dude. I I would think they, so they look too. Strong.
3: Well, just because I, I I know I can get four hundred five. I just got four hundred five on squat the other day. So that's I've never lifted more than that. So that would be considered my max um and all my math that's your all-time well yeah the reason why i wanted to do all-time because all my all-time strengths are i'm in the strongest Uh, i've ever been right now so oh man (laughs) i'm definitely uh i mean give or take right i'm not it depends uh, for me it's been like up and down so uh my bench press the the most i've ever bench press is 350 um i i work out with 275 right now and sometimes i'll go up to 315 on days that i'm running singles or, or triples i rarely ever try and press it up, just because I'm always concerned about my shoulder, and I, I actually do a lot more incline, I can act, and what's more impressive to me is I can inc- incline press the same amount of weight as I can on flat bench, so uh, that took me a very long time to get those equal for the longest time ever, I was only flat benched, and then if I incline pressed, I'd have to reduce my weight by like 75 to 100 pounds, where now I incline press as much as I flat bench press, so uh, bench yeah, press. I
1: rarely I rarely go over 185, 200 pounds on the incline, rarely, yeah yeah. So, so bench that's press, yeah. On oh. an incline, on oh, an incline. incline. Yeah, really. So,
3: yeah. So, uh, yeah, so three fifty on my bench. Um, a push press. God, it's been a while since I've done that. I can't recall ever doing more than two twenty five. I know I've done that before uh, for a single rep, but I don't. Uh, I've never done more than that. I've never really tried actually to do overhead press. I've always been concerned um, about my form and my shoulder mobility, so I've never really pushed that limit before. I'd be interested to see now with all my mobility work and going through performance i've been doing a lot of z presses and i've seen the my strength with it. i mean I, I just z pressed the other day what 1, 150 something or something like that yeah. yeah to z press that that's I mean, a lot yeah and I, I can behind the head 185 now all the way down four of motion so i imagine i could probably get 225 up pretty easily in comparison now so maybe i'll do that just to see mm-hmm. where i'm at be interesting to see how much my push press has gone up uh, squat, I said 405 uh my deadlift uh just the what a week and a half two weeks ago I did 545 so I've yet to do uh over that I have yet to fail on a deadlift I've never I've actually never tried to lift a weight that I and not been able to get it up so, so how
1: did you feel on the 545 um it was, you've seen it on Instagram oh but, that one yeah, yeah you, you've got 560 at least in you yeah, I, I, I would say 15 pounds over that from what I saw. Yeah, I I
3: feel confident that after doing it, and seeing how how quick I came up out of it, um, I'm sure I could do a little bit more. Um, it's that felt heavy though. As soon as I get over 500, I feel like in the deadlifting in the 400s for me, it's like all day long easy. It does I don't have to feel great to do it. Once I hit over 500. Um, you know, it definitely the technique and everything starts to come into play big time. And I've said before, anytime I've ever failed at anything, I feel like it's more biomechanical than anything else. So my deadlift's around that. Yeah, but, but how much can you guys power clean? <laughs> I don't even power clean at all. So not, too bad, Justin. It's not in this a conversation. Forget <laughs> it.
2: Forget it. Yeah.
3: I'll, I'm going to start
2: with my shitty one first because I want to get out. <laughs> 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 I think, I, like, seriously, deadlifting is a new skill for me. I didn't even really do it. So uh, I, I, think, I think a lot of it is that. Uh, and the other fact that I hurt myself doing it. So I have this like hesitancy towards yeah. it. Uh, like I hurt my QL, but anyway, all excuses aside 455. that's probably all I've really even got to with, with deadlift, but, uh, which is still a very respectable number. It's like, it's like (laughs) silly, horrible, but you could squat more than that. Yeah. I could squat more than that. So So that's so crazy to me. How opposite for me. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, what I didn't get up to like 500 or nothing crazy. It was like in, in college I did like, uh, what is that? 475. 475 I did in college. Uh, squat. And then um, bench press, I actually achieved 405. So that I was pretty pumped on that. Um, and uh, as far as overhead press, this is where it's kind of weird. I did um, uh, 4, not 4. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Three, uh, 315. Yeah. Holy 315 shit. 315 push press. You've done a push press with three fifteen. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, where and it's funny because like, uh, yeah, I, I actually at one point when I was in college I could clean three fifteen and then jerk it.
3: You know, so what? Uh, where are you at in all those numbers now? Like, where do you mm, squat? Where do you dead? Two seventy
2: five de- is what I've I've push pressed. Yeah, so I, I can I can still do a reasonable amount with that. Yeah, no, it's but uh, yeah, like squat. I've only really been doing like 405, You know, up and then I get up to like. Four, four fifteen. You know, four twenty if I'm lucky on a, on a good day. Yeah. But um, yeah, deadlifts like I mentioned is the same, and, and bench I'm only like uh three sixties, three sixty range.
1: Remember and, when it used to be so important to bench press a lot? I know yeah. that was the highlight of everything. That was the bench. How much you bench, bro? No. <laughs> one, one thing that I've done uh that really helps if you're really interested in that kind of maximal strength. Uh, is to get yourself used to using a heavy but sub-maximal weight. So for the longest time, I would always, no matter what, when I deadlift, I would always deadlift with, uh, I'd always do at least a, a set with one for a single with 500 pounds. And I just got to the point where that felt routine for me. And now I always do a single with uh, 515 or 520. Well, this so is, it just gets me good at that. You
3: this know? is also a place where you say that. I would also, this is where I think negatives play a good role. Um, I remember when I first started lifting, uh, lifting with an old school bodybuilder and obviously he probably didn't understand the science behind it. He just knew it was effective and worked is he would put on weight that I couldn't even do a single rep with, mm-hmm. but he would hold, you know, he would just, he just wanted me to feel that on the eccentric motion. We know that we can handle a lot more weight on an eccentric motion than you can on a concentric motion. So, you know, I get on the bench press and that was Back then I could I couldn't even do two plates and hit like three fifteen, which was probably overdoing it. I didn't need to feel that much. But the idea of actually feeling a weight, just being able to hold on to that much weight that you're not used to, getting comfortable with descending that in a controlled manner, and then he would help me with it on the way up, uh, I saw huge, huge gains from that, being able to and a lot of it a lot of it's a mental block because you're mm-hmm. afraid of that feeling. I mean there's I remember the very first time I put four hundred five on my back to squat, it was like, Oh my god. Oh yeah. Jeez, oh yeah it was just like the scariest feeling ever ever yeah. having I mean for somebody who had never really squatted more than 225 and then I progressed up to 405 and I remember feeling that weight on my back going like that's not like just a little bit of weight <laughs> you know that's yeah. a lot you know yeah totally so getting used to that feeling I think uh, makes a big difference
1: excellent well listeners please do not forget to leave us a 5 star rating and review on iTunes and check us out on Instagram at Mind Pump Radio. You can find me at Mind Pump Sal. You can find Adam at Mind Pump Adam and Justin at Mind Pump Justin. And also check out mindpumpmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. For more information about this show and to get valuable free resources from Sal,
0: Adam, and Justin, visit us at www.MindPumpRadio.com. Until next time, this is Mind Pump.